Hi, Jonathan. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing well. Just getting started this morning. Great. So I thought I'd start with a kind of broad question. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of your past work has been kind of vintage-inspired and inspired by a lot of tones and textures from, I guess, 60s and 70s. Is In terms of recording, was that a very deliberate thing or was that more dictated by like just the kind of tones that you naturally gravitate towards? Um, I think it's the tones that I, I normally gravitate towards just because I, for some reason, have always connected to things that sound a little bit older because I listened to so much 60s and 70s music growing up. Um, but lately, I kind of feel myself like not caring as as much. I just don't like anything to sound bad. You know, at this point, I don't like... Um, I don't like, like, MIDI, uh, you know, replacements of instruments. Like, I, I don't like the sound of those types of things. But besides that, I'm pretty cool with... I feel like I can get a good sound with anything that's physical. I guess, talking about some specific instruments, maybe, I guess, drums, is your approach to recording drums very based around, like, the treatment and things to get those sounds you like, or are you doing a lot with the recording as well? It's kind of both. I like to get it sounding good in the room. It's good to have a good a good drum set to start with because you don't have to do very much to it. Um, but I also like things to sound unique. So there's, you know, every on my drum sound, like everything goes through like a pretty intense chain of things where it's with like a lot of different kind of minor EQ adjustments and then cutting and then boosting. There's a lot of a lot of shit going on on the drum sound. Um, if you're happy to go through some of those and get into specifics about your kind of standard technique, if you have a good, like go-to technique or some of your usual ones in terms of mics. It depends on it depends on what the band is. I think yeah, it just depends on what the what the what the band is like, what they're going for, who the drummer is, because every drummer plays differently. Um, Normally, I, I guess if, if I'm just doing like a traditional uh, 70s drum sound or something, I I mic the kick and the snare, the under snare. Let me go back. Okay, I used to, the way that I used to do things uh, was like three mics. And most of the records that I, I did up to the last like two or three years were like just an overhead that was like a ribbon mic and a snare and a kick. And then those, the, you know, the kick would go through a compressor of some sort of like whatever compress. I don't remember what I was using on the kick. Snare would go through an 1176. And then I would have these old graphic EQs, these German uh, graphic EQs that I got from this guy, Adrian Young. Um, he was selling them and I bought them. He's an amazing producer. And... I would just EQ the shit out of them because I was recording in my garage and I had to fight so much with the sound of the garage that I was just like cutting huge frequencies, just boosting top end on the snare. And like same with the overhead, just like going completely wild with the EQ. And that was my drum sound forever. Like I I never really mic'd toms or, or even thought about like an under snare mic. 
And then I just started working on bigger and bigger projects where people kind of demanded a little more clarity. And I started working in, in nicer studios where I could hear more and I didn't have to fight with stuff as much. So it's like a, a snare just sounded like the way it did in the room. And like the top of the snare was too thuddy. So I threw up and, you know. So now I mic the toms. Give it a little under snare. I learned this trick through like many people. I heard that they did the Amy Winehouse uh, back to black drums. They used like a RCA 77 underneath the snare. Like that was like Mark Ronson's trick. And right. I, I'm never even trying to get the Amy Winehouse drum sound. Like I never even think about it, but I heard that. And so I always just use that mic in that place. And I think that's kind of cool. And then, um, what else? Yeah, I just, you know, 414s on the toms. It's a pretty basic setup. And then I just, I still just go ape shit with the EQs because that's just fun. And I feel like a, a lot of the tones and textures of um, records that are from the 60s and 70s, they were fighting more. And there's way more EQing. And I like that. I like the sound of that. I like things to be bright, I like things to be full. What are some of your favorite mics for overheads? I like Coles. The classic Coles ribbon mics. I'm not a super um, savvy mic person. <laughs> um, I normally, like if I'm working with an engineer or something, I just let them set up what they would normally set up. And then I listen to it and I tweak it if it needs to be tweaked. But like... I like coals on the overheads if I if I have them around. It's cool. But I also have just used pencil mics or just like no, I've never, I've also just used no overheads before. I just use tom mics and just like raise them up and just gain them. Like just dynamic mics. I, I don't have really a preference yet. You mentioned obviously using three mics, so I guess you would have been in mono for the drums then. Are you now yeah. kind of going to stereo, and has that changed how you mix drums? Yeah, for sure. Because you can get so much more out of it. I mean, when I was in a home recording setup, the the less variables you have, the better you're going to end up. Because you can just focus on, here's these three things. All I need to do is get these three mics sounding good. Um. But yeah, now I, I'll have like, you know, I'll have like eleven tracks of drums, and then there's so much to, to play with, and you can get it sounding so big if you want that, um, which I don't always want. So a lot of the times I'll, I'll end up muting stuff, or like I'll take the tom mics out, or I'll take the overheads out. I'll take out something most of the time, but I end up just throwing up a lot of mics for some reason because it's fun, you know, it's fun to do that. Do you have any tips for getting kind of really good dead snare sound? Because I know personally I've struggled. Like sometimes it can end up just sounding like the stereotype, like, like a cardboard box. Yeah. I think you tune it high and then you dampen it a little bit. You dampen part of the drum. I think the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that I have, the complaint that I have is that I, I don't think that a, a towel or a, handkerchief or whatever on the snare sounds good. I don't 
I never like the sound of it. It just kills the tone. Like, I heard someone say at some point, like, you got to let your drums sing, you know? And so I think it's all, it all comes to the tuning and then deadening a little bit. I like to put, I mean, it depends on the room, but a lot of the times I just like to put like a, a handkerchief, get it thin and just pull, put it on the edge of the snare or something. I think that normally sounds good. I like to tune toms high and just leave them open. I don't know. My favorite kind of drum sound, I think, is, is or, or a dead drum sound, is are drums that aren't particularly deadened, but they're in a dead room. So like a high-tuned snare in a dead room, I think sounds really good. Um, yeah, Or just, you know, lower. The, <laughs> I don't know. There's so many ways to do it. There's a good there's a good trick to get like the Lin type sound that I I heard it's somewhere where you you tune it pretty moderately all around and then you just loosen one lug right on the snare and it just does the that's a classic so maybe moving on to acoustic guitar obviously in the kind of sixties and seventies it wasn't a big priority to have like super hi fi acoustic guitar so it would have been a lot of like dynamic mics. And pretty scratchy sound yeah. guitars. Yeah. Is that something that you think you kind of stayed with or have you gone for a more modern approach to it? No, I just throw, I just throw like whatever on it. This, this interview is going to be a lot of me going like, I just do whatever. But really, I just like, I've, I use the coals sometimes if it's around. A lot of the times I have like a mic on a stand that I just swing around and I just record. Because I, I also like quickness. I know how because I've been on the other side of it, and I know how much it sucks to be in a band or something, and you're like the guitar player, and you're just sitting around for hours. You know? You're just sitting. And it sucks. And so I like to be quick. And so I, yeah, I'll just use a dynamic mic, and I have some good acoustic guitars that just sound good. And I get a nice open sound, and I just go for it. I don't really know. I've seen people do, like, like two mics crossed pointed at the 12th fret or something you know it all sounds the same to me <laughs> but i like i like a more rugged sound you know like i feel like the 60s and 70s records like they weren't they were just figuring stuff out so i i kind of like that rugged thing do you have any standard ways of recording someone who's singing at the same time as playing acoustic I've always had pretty bad luck with it. <laughs> There's some albums that I've done where if if it's a quiet song and I've I've done someone singing at the same time, like you can hear like the tape machine in the background. You can hear just so much and there's so much voice in the acoustic guitar and there's so much acoustic guitar and voice well, just a mess. I've had some luck with it with like really good singers like um on the Father John Misty album that I did, like most of that was just Josh in, in the room playing and singing. And his voice is so good and his playing was so just exactly what it needed that I was sort of confident that it would be like the final take. I wouldn't have to get anything out of anything. Um, so that was really, that was really nice. I like doing it. It's, it's great with like a confident singer who's like, you know, you're not going to have to mess with it very much. And so, I, yeah, those are that's the best of luck that I found with it. Was that Father John Misty record done live with a band, or was it built up 
kind of multi-track. No, it was just it was just built up. It was just the two of us, uh, most mostly just the two of us in my garage. Did you do kind of scratch tracks, drum tracks first before he did his guitar and vocals? Or was that the first thing to go down? No, he'd do like guitar and vocals or piano and vocals with just him because he'd have the song like. It was crazy. I, I mean, he's really amazing. And, and he, he'd come in with like 70, 80, maybe 85% of a song like written. And then he'd just sort of finish it like right before doing take one. And then he'd do one take of the song with no click. And it would just be like, he'd sing it and play piano or guitar. And then he's just so in tune that he would go and play drums to what he just did. Uh, and it would be totally locked in. And then I'd play bass with him while he was playing drums. And that was like the core of the, the album. And then we just did, yeah, a little, a little overdubs, but there's really not that much going on on it. So thinking about vocals, have you got any advice for how to mix kind of harmonies and doubling vocals? Cause obviously that's something that's very present in a lot of the music we're talking about. Yeah, um, it's uh, again, you know, always different. It depends on the quality of the singer and what types of harmonies they are. Like for for country style harmonies, I just like a mono, you know, down the center. And like a lot of the times, if it's like a a, a country, I'm doing air quotes, country style harmony, I just record two people singing into a mic at once. And just have it be like that. And that's great. And like um, the Lemon Twigs, you know, that's the, that's like the most intensive harmony records that I work on. And, and, and they do a lot of stuff where they sing together. They'll sing the same harmony into one mic and then double or triple that and then spread that across the, the stereo field. But the, the quality of their voices is also so good that it's like it's too easy you know so when i'm really struggling with harmonies i don't i don't know it just it's a whatever sounds good i like them spread out you know hard stereo most of the time what are some of your favorite uh reverbs for vocals um i've been renting the studio in la that i've been in for like two years almost at this point, and they have this, just an EMT plate that's awesome. It just sounds so good. It sounds good, so good on everything. Um, I also just have some, some like, off-brand spring reverbs that I think are cool. I, there's like a, I've heard, actually, you know what, I, I don't own this, but I've heard this uh, Furman reverb. It's like a red Furman spring reverb. Um, that I've heard that I, I'm, I think I want to buy one because it sounds really good. I really like that. Yeah, just a plate, pretty much, or uh, an Eventide H3000, you know, for like a really like nice long uh, reverb. You mainly go for things like tape delays in terms of delays or other stuff too. I I used to do a lot of tape delay. Um, cause it's just what I had. And obviously like that's the sixties thing, but 
lately I've just been getting into like I mean it's just like anything goes. Like I, I love I love delays a lot and um I've got some secret weapons. There's there's one that I don't want to talk about because I don't want everyone to buy one. And I feel like I've stumbled onto it, and it's really cool. But the one that I'm really into right now, I'll tell you this: this is it's the Korg uh, SD3000, which is the the Edge delay. Yeah. The U2. Uh, it's on. You know, it's like everything. It's like every Edge sound. That's a really amazing delay. And I love it. And I, I've been using it a lot. Do you think much about the vocals kind of relative volume to the music? Because obviously that's something that changes a lot when you go through different time periods of recording. Yeah. Quality, again, quality of the singer. You know, if it's like an, um, a, a really strong voice, it's like, fuck it, just put it loud. You know, like, like I don't know. I, I have no, I like um, Kanye as much as I like the Kinks. And so it's like, if it's like modern in any way, like I, I've, I've been kind of like trying to not do as much sixties and seventies stuff because yeah, it's yeah. so easy for me at this point. And so I like a loud vocal, you know, I like it just like, just like top of the mix. Cause ultimately like, that's what people are, are listening to, you know, like that's what they're, they're grasping onto like the casual person's not listening to it be like wow that's an interesting bass tone there you know they're just like what's the melody of the song and what are the lyrics um if it's like an indie thing i can understand putting the vocals a little lower like stylistically i, I get it and so i'll do that sometimes but i i generally prefer to listen to the vocals like, while we're recording, I like to have the vocals. Like, even the scratch vocal, like, super loud. And, and singers are always like, can you just turn that down a little bit? Can you just turn down the <laughs> scratch vocal? It's, like, really loud. <laughs> but I like it, you know. Hey, everyone. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Tonalux and their brand-new JC37 microphone. This is a clone of the old Sony C37A tube microphone designed with producer Joja Corelli, who was on episode 5 of the podcast. The original Sony mics were used on sessions with people like Jimi Hendrix, The Doors, and The Wrecking Crew. In my opinion, these new Tonalux microphones are great for people with small studios and home studios looking to invest in one really great tube condenser mic. Unlike a lot of tube condenser microphones, these Tonalux mics are incredibly versatile, can be used on guitar amps, snare, kick drum, drum overheads, vocals, and almost anything that in a lot of situations a normal tube microphone couldn't handle the sound pressure of. And because you can get these microphones right up close to a lot of sources, they're great for recording in, in ideal spaces, which is what I do a lot of, as I have a portable recording studio. And another great thing about them is, even though they're hand-assembled in the USA, these mics are a lot cheaper than a lot of classic tube microphones as well. You can get a pair of them for the same price that you could get a single tube microphone from a lot of other manufacturers. Please visit tonalux.com forward slash product forward slash JC37 to see more information about them. Thanks for listening, and now back to the episode. Um, it's alright with you, I thought we'd go through some different vocal mics that you've used to different kind of projects. Maybe with your own project, Oxygen, have you had a kind of consistent vocal mic with that, or does it change all the time? Changes constantly. Um, a lot of the time it's just a dynamic mic. When we did the first album with Swift, Sam did all his vocals into an SM58, into a Space Echo. That was like the whole thing. And then into a 
into the tape machine. And then Star Power, we did... I had this little Akai, like, dictation microphone. It was, like, the size of this spoon. And uh, I had that, and it was just, like, quarter-inch out the back. And I used that on... 80% of that album, like, that's, like, the overhead, that's the s- singing mic, that's the acoustic guitar. I don't know why, I just liked this little tiny mic. It sounded so bad. Like, I listen to that album now, and I'm like, why did I just not use a couple other microphones? Like, I had to, I was so hung up on this one thing, and also I had no idea how to use a compressor when I was doing that album. I had just got my first uh, compressor. I bought an 1178 and I read that Todd Rundgren used to put in the four buttons on it. And so I just pushed those four buttons and I just left it like that. I just forgot that it was that way. And so the whole album's just insanely compressed. Like, it's, un- it's unbelievable. Um, but it sounds awesome. So I, I, I'm proud of that. And then Hang, we did it in a really nice studio. And he sang into like a $50,000 Telefunken, you know, just like the, I was like, what's the most expensive mic you have? <laughs> like, let's just use that. Um, I like doing that too. I like just going to the studios and being like, what's the most expensive mics? <laughs> and then just using those. Um, and then we did the last one, Seeing Other People. Uh, and that was like, I think we ended up using like an RCA 44 ribbon mic for a lot of it. It just had like a really interesting sound to it. So yeah, everything's been different. Um, what about Father John Misty? What are your go-to vocal, go-to vocal mics for him? That was straight up like uh, two AKG um, uh, 414. No, what what is it? It's a, uh, what are the Tom mics? They're like 421s. 421, yeah. yeah. 421s on acoustic guitar, 421 on vocal. Because I didn't know that it was going to be the final vocal. I was just like, it's sort of the way that that whole session started was he was just like, I'm just, I got these songs. I, I just want to like get them down, you know, just, and I was like, oh, cool. We're like demoing. Awesome. Like, you're just thinking of this. And so it was just, yeah, dy- two dynamic mics picking up a lot of each other. <laughs> What about the lemon twigs? Is it consistent or is it lots of different things? Yeah, also super different. Um, I don't remember. Like the first, I mean, I've only, I did a, a more recent one with them that hasn't come out yet. But the, I only really worked on that first one. But we did, I don't even remember what we were using at that point. Probably just some dynamic mics. I don't even remember. I think that was around the time that I had that little pencil mic. And I remember using that pencil mic a lot. Like everything that I was recording around that time period was like pencil mic. <laughs> what about Wise Blood? What was her vocal mic for that album? That was an 87. Um, into, I don't remember what the chain was, but we worked hard on that chain. It was, it was like, it was tricky getting the sound down. And then she, she did a lot of vocals uh, by herself. I sort of, I had to, we went really long with the album because it just took, we like really worked on the backing tracks hard. And then I had to go on tour. 
And so I left for the last like week and a half, and she did the large chunk of the the vocals like with just with uh, an engineer. Um, so I wasn't really there for a lot of the tracking of the vocals on that album, but I did help set up the chain, and it was in '87. And I don't know what if they changed it or did anything, but it sounds good. Yeah, that's probably my favorite album of the last year. Really been enjoying it recently. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some kind of process of recording that album. You were saying it was very kind of labored over. Was it done yeah. live as a band and then like gone through a lot of takes or was it kind of built up part by part? Oh yeah, it was, some tracks were done part by part. Some tracks were done with a band. When we started it, um, it was really, we spent like two weeks just trying to figure out what the, what we were even going for. It was kind of crazy. We'd like, we'd have different drummers come in, different bands completely. And we'd like rehearse, we'd get, try to get the take of the song down. And then we'd go home and just be like, God, I don't know. Like we'd be on the phone and just be like, what are we doing? Like, how do we, why doesn't it sound good? Like, why are, what are we going for and it was really hard to figure it out and then um we ended up like the lemon twigs came brian and michael came and and that was sort of the missing piece or something like they just brought some sort of energy into the rhythm tracks that that we were looking for so a lot of it was brian and michael uh, on drums and bass and like Natalie playing piano and me just engineering and just trying you know there's another this, uh, another engineer Dave and we were both just like um trying to get the sound just get the sound of it and like figure out like how to because we wanted it to sound really ethereal and we wanted it not to be like just a recording of a band playing so it was just a lot of like thinking it was a, it was like a real thinking album and we'd go home like just disappointed you know and figure try to figure, i don't know it just took forever to crack but so 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 a lot of it you know is our brian and michael playing drums um uh chris cohen came in and played drums on a track that and that really helped too because he's just so good and he he writes really good drum parts and and that was really nice and then a few tracks like Andromeda and, and Mirror Forever were, and uh, probably a few more that I'm forgetting, uh, movies and, and like that. That was built up track by track. Movies was crazy. Movies was like, Natalie had the idea for it and she knew exactly how she wanted it to sound and, and she couldn't really articulate it other than just like sitting at the, at the arpeggiator and just figuring it out. And, and I just, I remember we, there was a Toys R Us closing down the street and I was like, Natalie, just, I'm, we're going to leave for 45 minutes to an hour. You gotta just, just play this arpeggiator, just figure it out. I can't, I don't know how to help you get it. So we just like took a little field trip down the street and, and bought some like toys at a, at a, Toys R Us closing sale and brought it back and she had figured out the song. So, um, yeah, <laughs> those are assortment, an assortment of memories. Yeah. Great. Well, it clearly paid off because I know that, um, already means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. It means a lot to me. I, I'm so glad to 
have worked on it. It was really awesome. It's really good. Also on the album, there's obviously a lot of kind of big, lush strings. What was your approach to recording that? Um, pretty, uh, pretty st- standard and and clinical. You know, <laughs> like just close mics. I don't remember what because we had an, an engineer on that record, um, and. And I just was like, I I don't want to even mess this up because it's like when you got string players, like you're on the clock, you know, they're like, we got to get out of here by 8 p.m. It's noon. We're getting paid by the hour. Like, let's go. So I was like, just put up mics on, on it, room mics. Like there's just like a lot of microphones going. And then we, you know, double. Uh, it was like a quartet that, and I just double or triple it um, depending on how lush uh, we wanted to sound, um, yeah, a little reverb, you know, yeah, like you know, big reverb. <laughs> Do you remember what the reverb was? <laughs> probably just long plates. I probably had like I probably had a lot of effects going. Like I, I probably had it going to the plate. Probably had it going to the eventide. I probably had it bussing to a delay or something that was just being printed in these big chunks. He's big. That, that was like, we were going, we were like off tape. I think we were, I was recording off repro um, just to get tape sound. Um, but at that point, like there were so many mics and there was, it was so complicated that we just had, we just did that all on Pro Tools. So I just had the ability to have 25 tracks of <laughs> reverbs and stuff just muted. And I don't, they probably just used different things. I didn't, uh, mix it so I have no idea what they ended up using but sounds good so moving on to electric guitar has there been any kind of standard miking techniques for you or has it always been a case of just getting the tone right at the source um, for what electric guitar sorry you cut out oh electric guitar I've it's I I go through phases I used to just go DI with electric guitar and just be like, screw it. You know, I don't know why I just had maybe a disdain towards the electric guitar. I was sick of amps. I think touring made me really hate amplifiers for some reason. And I was just like, I hate amps. They're so loud. They're sounds so bad. Most amps just sounds so bad. And so I, I just went DI for a long time, and I just liked that. And I was really into Fleetwood Mac, and to me, like, all that stuff just sounded super DI. Um, and then uh, Michael from the Lemon Twigs got really into amps, and I, I was recording with him recently, and, and he just didn't want to do the DI thing. So I have this Fender Princeton that it's just like an old one. It sounds pretty good. So I've been using that. He got me back into amps in the studio. So I've been using that a lot, just with a 57 on it or something. There was this setup that I had. There was a setup that I had for a while that was like a Marshall head through an AC30. And um, Michael also figured that out. Like I, I had left the studio and he came back and he was like, check this out. And it was awesome. And then I blew it up. <laughs> I just exploded it. So I don't have that anymore. Did you have like a favorite DI box or any particular thing that you plugged into? Oh, I 
had the ja- the jankiest setup for the longest time. Like it was just uh, the graphic EQs I was telling you about were quarter inch in, <laughs> and I would just plug into that. And it had a pre it had a preamp in it, but it's like was just some like ins- it, that's like not the way that you would even do it. I just had no idea what I was doing. I had an uh, Allen and Heath mixer for a while that was just um, I would use that sometimes. It, I just, whatever was quarter inch in, <laughs> I would just plug into it. Um, and then when I moved into this new studio, there's just some nice like there's like a Neve pre with a quarter inch in, and, and it sounds great. So I just use that. Is bass guitar normally DI'd as well? Yeah. I rarely, I don't know if I like bass amps too much. I know people really do like them. And like for the Wise Blood thing, we did DI and, and bass amp. And if I'm, if I'm working, generally if I'm working with another engineer, I just end up recording more things. Like I'm, I end up putting it through an amp and a DI and I can entrust them to always have the amp DI going. And because I forget about that stuff, I just I, I'm really I love engineering, but I just am str- like straight vibe. I'm just like, what is the vibe in the studio right now? Like, what are these people feeling? Are they do they want to move quickly? If so, I'm just going to take this quarter inch out of this guitar and I'm going to plug it into the bass, and it's going to be the same thing. And then I'm going to plug that into the keyboard. And I just have one quarter inch, and I just go around plugging it into different instruments. And it's just just like, go, 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 go. And then I add effects or something. But a, a lot of it is just like pretty basic DI recording, you know, into, and just getting it to tape in a nice way. Maybe a little verb or a little cool delay or something, but like nothing crazy. Moving on to piano, obviously piano is kind of a big sound. A lot of those, like seventies singer-songwriter records. Yeah. Do you have any approaches for getting that kind of classic sound? Um. Yeah, brightness, brightness is good. You know, those pianos are really like. They're not. I mean, it. I mean, again, it depends. I mean, for, I for when I was in my garage, I had an upright piano. And I had two dynamic mics that I just, it was up against the wall and I just put two dynamic mics and just kind of hung them behind the piano. So I was recording the soundboard and I would just EQ the shit out of it and make it really bright. And that sounded good. And that was all that I had. And this new studio I have has a grand piano or baby grand. And it has a stereo mic that someone, when I moved in, um, someone had already put this like stereo mic like into the piano and it's like, um, what do you call it? Like zip, zip tied into it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I just uh, use that. (laughs) It sounds good. Someone figured it out for me. And that's like, that's my main piano sound now is just that mic that's just zip tied into the piano. I don't even know what it is. I think it's a Fostex stereo mic. Sounds good. And then I put that through a stereo EQ that I have, just like a mastering EQ, and I just get out the ugly frequency, like the low, muddy mids, and it's yeah. 
voila. <laughs> Reverb. I don't know how many projects of yours you do mix, but when it comes to mixing, are you working from the box now, or are you still doing it entirely analog? I like to do it analog. I don't think I... If I'm going to mix a record, which I don't end up mixing a lot of the albums I make, because I don't... I don't think I really do the type of mixes that people want, because <laughs> I'm... I'm the, the type of mixes I, I like, like, I love Lee Scratch Perry... And King Tubby and uh, Spectre, you know, like I like these mixes that nobody would ever ask for, you know. And so I'm like so vibe heavy that I, I think it's just like people are like, it sounds cool. It's just I want to hear more like of the vocal, and I don't like to do mix notes because I'm mixing so much. If I'm, if I'm going to mix them, I'm mixing it on the board and it's just so hard to change stuff later. So normally I get a mix that I'm happy with on the board and I print the stems into pro tools and then I give the artist the hard drive and I'm like, give it to someone, but don't have them change it too much. You know, like don't, don't mess it up. Don't go crazy with the mixing. Just like get it nice. So, I feel like most of the records that I've produced that have come out sound pretty close to the rough mixes that I printed into the computer. Just they're a little more sculpted. And I, I'm happy with that. And I, I like to step away from it at the mixing process too, because that's like the, really the most painful part. And people are very close to it. And I'm really close to it. And normally after listening to an album for like three and a half weeks, I have no idea what I'm even listening to anymore. I've, I've just, it's just like I'm so familiar with the sonic palette of it that I don't even know what to do. <laughs> I think that's all my questions. So thanks a lot for speaking with me. Awesome. Nice talking to you.